All right, Christina, if you have your voice back, uh, this next one is for you. So all of these tools, Squiggle, Mutually, et cetera, seem great. What's the process, um, though, with training employees or teams remotely and how to use them effectively, especially for less technical teams? Is it on? Oh, there we go. Perfect. Um, yeah, interesting question. So um, I think training-wise, training, training -wise, um, for, I guess, I, you know, we didn't, that wasn't something that we really had to, to, to work with because I had, I guess, the luxury of working with engineers on this. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, yeah, it's, it's, I guess, I'm sorry, I can't answer the question because it's not really something does that we had to do. Else, yeah, does anybody else have any thoughts on that one? As, I guess as someone who's trying to figure out how do you sell folks that aren't necessarily technical and aren't necessarily easy to adopt Web 2.0-like tools, um, it is tricky. They need to see the value of it, which is why I've been the one who's always using video for every meeting because then people see the value of it. Similarly, if they can see you know, a board that you've created on Murally or on Squiggly or on Trello or something like that, they start to recognize that, oh, wow, this is pretty easy to use. I just move things around on a mouse. It's actually easier than this big complex tool I'd used before. So to the extent that you can have someone who come in who already has some examples of it really working or really, really, like truly encourage people to watch those videos that we're all told to watch about these products, but we never do, they'll see the value. It's not about here's how you do the hello world version. It's about here's how I, it, it really helps to solve business problems. Um, in a larger company, we have the luxury, there's usually some group that's already doing it. Um, in your organization, you might not. So consider bringing somebody in and giving them a free lunch and having them, you know, just talk about how they use it at their organization. I'm sure plenty of the folks here would be great candidates for that. Um, and that'll be a really good way, because it's, it's not hard to use these tools. It's hard to sell them on the value of it so that they'll get over that hurdle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's what I would add, too, is just sort of leading by example is the best way to get adoption. Paul, this next one is for you, and it's a long one. Uh, sometimes our globally distributed team works on security-sensitive projects, such as banking software. Many clients are naturally concerned about security with contributors from uh, the other side of the world. Often, having a distributed team may be a contract killer for such projects. Any suggestions on how to effectively address clients' security concerns? Don't work for a bank. <laughs> Just kidding, that's not very nice. Um, actually, so security is a big thing. Um, we have it, it as your company, our company is growing, it's becoming a bigger issue that customers are bringing up. Um, I don't have any specific advice around security other than uh, I would definitely evaluate the appropriate levels of security and make sure that the people that you do work with know what they're getting into. Um, we are very clear. I'm surprised at how many um, conversations that start with, are you this secure, are you this secure, by just saying, hey, we're a startup, or hey, we deliver things fast, we do it this way, that they, the value of what you can deliver with greater communication and, and faster turnaround time and, and, and more deliverable is, 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 is of greater value sometimes than security. Now, I don't, if you're in a bank, you might be out of luck. But uh, I would just say emphasizing the value of distributed teams and how you're functioning and proving how making those investments 
and making those, those teams effective is more valuable uh, to the company, so. Thanks, Paul. William, how do you best enable remote people to share their ideas versus you sharing your local ideas? Sure, I, I think it's all about culture and whether we're talking with our, our team members. We do have the benefit, we're about 12 years old and we've always been a distributed team. So it's not like we had this legacy that we had to kind of flip a switch at some point. But um, when we're dealing with clients as well, you kind of set up processes and, and get them involved. That's one of the things I love about doing the user experience exercises with Post-it notes and Sharpies and stuff is that it creates a context where they kind of have to participate or they feel uh, left out, you know? And so then you kind of set that expectation with your team members and then also with the clients that we work with. Um, and that they end up having fun and learning a lot about themselves um, in the process of doing that and about their company, so. Sounds good. Jared, what are your favorite knowledge management tools to create value and to share with a wider audience? You know, there's two ways you can answer that question. One is, is to look at what the existing technology you have is in your organization, because if it can tie in, then that will make a heck of a lot of sense. So if you're in the Microsoft ecosystem, then tools like SharePoint and Yammer will make a lot of sense. If you're in the Google ecosystem, tools like Google Docs will, will make a lot of sense. Um, and, and in Yammer, actually, there, there's a really great wiki tool in there that I've used a lot, um, if, if you're not familiar with that side of Yammer. So, I think the best thing, because for better or worse, especially in, in organizations that get to any size, logging in is, is like a huge hurdle, especially for non-technical users don't have like password managers and things. So if they're already signed on, it's just a matter of going to a URL, you're getting them over a huge barrier. So I would look at your ecosystem. So I've, I ran a productivity training business for eight years. And in that business, I always tried to focus on using the most basic off-the-shelf stuff instead of little small tools that are great. And as running a startup for a while, I'd love people to use my little smart small tool. Um, but the reality is it's easier to get people to use the stuff that they basically already have. So I would try to use the stuff that already exists. Fortunately now, there's just, you know, both from, the, from all the large ecosystems, there's a web version of something that's wiki-based or something that's list-based or something that's uh, discussion-list-based. And, and try to use that because people are already there. Thanks, Jared. Now this one's for everyone, but let's start with Sieva. Uh, how do you or would you handle your daily meeting concept where time zones don't allow all team members to attend? Sure, and it, it, it's totally normal for someone to just not be able to attend um, on a normal basis, but we'll have a check-in through email. You know, it's, it's not unheard of that someone will just drop a line that says, this is what I accomplished yesterday in the same bullet points, this is what I'll accomplish today. And maybe later in the day, if there's more to talk about, they'll hop on the phone or on go to meeting with myself or my co-founder or somebody else on the team that can have a meeting for them, but is more pertinent to what they're doing. But definitely an email with the bullet points uh, goes out if the person can attend. William? Uh, sure. Uh, screencasts work pretty well as well. Um, so you do your daily stand-up, and then you have just a, a tiny little synopsis of everything at the end of that. Um, there's some free tools that are out there that make it really easy to make a short video. So then you post that somewhere into Dropbox or wherever. Then the team on the other side of the world um, watches that, and then they record their own little snippet of, hey, here's what I did yesterday. Here's what I'm going to work on today, and here's something that's in my way. And so then, again, it's not perfect, but it's, it's better than... You're still getting that somewhat human interaction, right? Even if it's not in real time. I think, I think the biggest thing for us was a lesson in 
um, when that person couldn't attend, making sure that it didn't feel to them as though the decisions had been made without them because often the person who's sort of catching up later, in order for them to voice their opinions, they feel like they have to sort of disrupt what's been done already, which is a really difficult position to be in and eventually just sort of give up. So I think, you know, being that one person to make sure that, you know, everyone knows, you know, it's not made until we, until we check in with this person and giving them the opportunity to do that and, and be frictionless in that way was really helpful for us. Uh, three points actually to that. One, at my previous company, we did our scrums. We did it always over chat um, because of the time zones issues. And it's great because you can always search and figure out what was written. Two, there is a record button on all of your meeting software. People rarely use it. It's awesome. Just record the meeting and then watch it at a more convenient time. Um, to the point from, Tar I think it was Taryn earlier from Steelcase, a lot of meetings are not generative and they really are just information. Get into a culture of recording it and then watching it over dinner. There's nothing wrong with that. It's really easy to do and you can't make every meeting. And point number three, a point that wasn't brought up, which I think is really core to the problem with trying to distribute teams, is that if you have an us and them mentality, as you were talking about, where if you have 10 people in a room and one person somewhere else, it's very hard for them to feel included. So even if you have three people in your office and one person somewhere else, consider having all three of those people in the office using their own computers and their own webcams, then people will feel equal. I was just going to say, if it's something that, you know, if every now and again somebody misses a meeting, then I'd say, hey, these are great, but these solutions are great. But if it's an ongoing thing, I honestly think, I. I Human-to-human -human interaction is so important to me and my team's productivity that I would take a problem like that and that would inform how we'd structure teams or potentially restructure things so that people who are in different time zones can be as productive and feel a part of what the, is going on as possible. Um, otherwise, I really feel like it, it, over time there's just no way for that last mile to be met and it causes a disconnect. And I just don't think that there's too many technologies that can fix that. So it's just accept that it's hard. Paul, this next one's actually for you too. Uh, does your company pay for the equipment that your remote people use? And if not, has there been pushback from remotes on that? And if so, how was that handled? Well, there's phases of company, right? Where you're like, you and a guy and you're working and you're like, we don't even know who owns what. And then at some point it has to become more official and you label things. We're kind of going through that phase of growth where we have to make sure. Our current policy is that user testing owns the equipment. What I tell my team is you go find the best webcam that you can find. You go find the best microphone that you can find. Buy two. Whatever you need on your end, buy it. And then you submit a reimbursement because it's that important for, for me to know that you can hear and see what's going on. That's more important than anything. I mean, look at the dollars. Like, what is it, a few hundred dollars for the proper equipment? Maybe 500 bucks for some really nice headphones? That's nothing when you're talking about productivity. So um, hopefully that answers the question there. Great. So we have time for about one more question um, for anyone. How do you structure trial periods to sell new remote work ideas to the company at large? I have plenty more questions. Trial period? Well, this is, I, yeah, just quick. I've been talking for five minutes already. It's great. Uh, the, you know, the initial conversation about training, it kind of goes into this question of trial periods training. How, how do you force upon a team some type of process that how remotes work? 
And I would say if the team doesn't see how something is actually solving a problem that they have, it's probably not a process or something that you actually want to try to push on them because it's probably not going to make them more effective. So I would question what it is you're trying to force. If you try something and it's difficult to get it, the adoption, then that's, a, that's feedback. That's data. Yeah, and and th since this audience probably does have a lot of technical folks, um, I don't know how much you all know about Scrum, but um, I would take a look at the Spotify Scrum video. It's this really great video about how Spotify has started to build standards in their company for adopting tools, um, but it does it in a way where it's not forced upon folks, but it's sort of, you start to develop norms over time. Um, because really, when you start seeing that people choose these tools for themselves, and they have that autonomy, um, then people really do fall for them. Now, that's maybe not the best tactic for HHS, but it, it really is for companies that are hundreds or a few thousand people. Yeah, even with our small team, we're all geeks, and so we love new tools and cool tools and everything, and we can sometimes uh, wear out some of our team members with, oh, here's this new thing that has this new little feature. So uh, myself and, and one of the other guys are maybe a little less averse to risk in that area. So we'll just kind of try using the tool, just the two of us, to see, okay, is this really that much better than the tool that we were using before? If yes, then let's say, okay, everybody, we're no longer using this. We're now using this new tool. But kind of uh, you know, test it out in a smaller setting, and then if it works well, then you can roll it out. Great. Well, thanks to you guys, and thanks to you all out there for uh, sharing your questions with us. Now I'm going to hand it back over to Sarah. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. So um, we've kept you for quite a long time. We're going to release you for a break um, so you can get some snacks and chill out. A um, couple of things during the break. So first of all, keep sharing your tips. In particular, I'm looking for your tips about how you use in-person meetings really well. Um, but you guys have a ton of other good tips too, so bring those on. And also note, this is a new conference. It's the first time we're doing it. So there is no existing community already. There's no insider group. Everybody here is new. So we all have a shared responsibility and opportunity to make everybody else feel really welcome. So I ask that when you make eye contact with somebody in the hall, rather than looking awkwardly away, you smile at each other and introduce yourselves. Um, and I know it can be hard. So um, one of the things that we try to do here, I mean, I, it's hard for me and I'm a speaker, right? It's hard to meet people. So we, we emailed you all a question and um, asked you to think about this. This is a question you can ask anybody here. What's your favorite piece of advice for working on a distributed team? And you can share one piece of advice and you're off to a conversation. 